My name is Ryan Schreckengast, and I am one of the preachers here at GFC. Uh, and to give fair warning uh, to those of you who may be preteens in the audience, uh, if you haven't heard already from Dan this morning, we are going to be talking a lot about love. <laughs> but isn't it interesting that when I say that word, love, we all come to that word with different pictures in our minds. We have different ideas about what the word love actually means. And it might mean something very different when an eight-year-old boy hears that word and goes, don't talk about that. Uh, to some of us in this room who have decades worth of experience with the word love. Some of it, wonderful, and some of it, if we're honest, quite terrible. And as we're being honest, I do want to say that there are many things that have been done, maybe by you or to you, in the name of love, that might be terrible things. Maybe demeaning acts, or even abuse, or in some of our cases, something even idolatrous that we hold up above God. And there are countless more examples of how we may define the word love. And it gets confusing when there are so many different ways that we have defined this word. So we might look to our culture to define love for us. And that is no help whatsoever because our culture uses many definitions and even circular reasoning when trying to define love for us, don't they? Because we say, what is love? Love is love is sometimes the best that our culture can give to us. And so what we this morning desperately need, friends, is a definition or a model of love. Something that we can hold all of our actions up to and say, yes, that is what love looks like. Or, no, that is absolutely not what love looks like, friends. And so this morning, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. And if you took one of the Bibles from the church lobby, that's, that will be on page 919. And we are going to get exactly that definition. In fact, we're going to get two pictures or two models of what love could look like. One, to love like the Son of God that we must compare ourselves to and do everything in our power and the power of God to imitate. And the other, the second image, like the sons of disobedience that we must reject, friends. And so the point of seeing these two models this morning is to show us that as children of God, we must love like Christ. 
And we must not love like the world. And so Paul outlines this argument for us in three parts. The first, that we must love like Christ in verses 1 and 2. That we must not love like the world, verses 3 through 6. Because darkness and light cannot coexist. Which we will see in verses 7 through 14. So read with me verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the way we must Love, friends, as imitators of God, following the example of Christ. And although these are only two verses that we've read this morning, these two verses are absolutely packed with implications for us. How should you walk in love? Verse 2, as Christ loved us. And how exactly did Christ love us? By giving himself up for us. And so in these two simple verses, Paul draws our attention to the entire life of Christ from birth to death to resurrection and shows us that this whole thing is the model that we should follow for what love looks like. In this single sentence, we've received a lifetime's worth of teaching. Because fundamentally, this isn't Paul's teaching. Look at verse 1. Be imitators of God. By imitating Christ, we imitate God. Not because simply Christ acted like God, but because He is God. And his sacrifice was a fragrant offering because of his unity with God. So there is no way to fully express the depths of how Christ loved us in a single sermon. The entire Bible is a love letter from God, expressing exactly how Christ loves us. And that's not only the New Testament alone either, friends. Verse 2 says that Christ's love was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That's talking about the Jewish sacrificial system. The entire Old Testament system of blood sacrifice according to what was pure and holy and acceptable to God. All of that and the New Testament is wrapped up together in how Christ loves us. 
And it's worth pointing out that not all of the sacrifices listed or given in the Old Testament were acceptable before God. There were very specific requirements. And likewise, not all of the things that we call love today are acceptable sacrifices before God. Only what God calls love is his acceptable sacrifice. So here's how this applies for us this morning, friends. Loving as Christ loves is living a life of sacrifice and ever-deepening unity with God. Friends, the best thing that you can do for those that you love is to love God and to be imitators of him. And the beautiful thing about this is that that is something that all of us can begin right now, regardless of where you are in your life stage or your relationships this morning. Singles, you can love like Christ loved, whether or not you ever get married. You can give yourself as a fragrant offering to God. The time that you invest now unifying yourself with him, aligning your desires with his desires, your hopes with his hopes for your life, and your passions with what he is passionate about, that time is spent imitating the love of God. And it is a sacrifice that is a pleasing offering to him. Married couples, you can love like Christ loved. Whether your marriage is in a season of tremendous growth and joy, or whether it is in a season of struggle and difficulty. You can do this by imitating how Christ loved. By giving yourself up to draw both you and your spouse into deeper unity with God. Kids, you can love your friends and your siblings like Jesus does. You can give up what you want to happen. And you can serve them. You could give up what you think is fair. Not to demand that they do what you think is fair. Because God didn't demand that you, that you pay the fair price for what you have done, for your sins, but he has paid it himself through Jesus. So friends, I want to also encourage all of us here that you will never stop growing as imitators of God if you are in his son, Jesus Christ. Just as Christ's love has been told through the entire story of history and the Bible, 
you have a lifetime to deepen your relationship with Christ and to imitate God's love more fully. These are just some of the ways that we must love rightly as Christ loved. But we know that this is not the only way that the world says to love. Let's read verses 3 through 6 and see the Apostle Paul highlight for us some alternatives to Christ-like love that, friends, we must resist. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Friends, we must not love like the world. Look at verse 3. Paul gives three examples of things that counterfeit as love In our fallen world. And he repeats those same three things again in verse 5. One, sexual immorality. Two, impurity. And three, covetousness. Each one of these three things has a distinct message that claims to be love. But it falls utterly short Of meeting the standard of Christ-like love. Let's look at each of these three more closely. The first, false love, sexual immorality, stems largely from a desire to self-satisfy. It says, love is what I want it to be. What satisfies my desires. Regardless Of what God desires. This is not how Christ loved friends. If Christ had loved with this kind of a false love. Then when he prayed at the garden of Gethsemane. He would not have prayed. Father take this cup from me. But not my will. But yours be done. Friends we must not call sexual immorality in all of its many guises love we must not the second type of false love impurity characterized here by crudeness or filthy talk i think this stems from taking a a sort of pleasure from defiling that which was pure or holy 
This kind of false love says that there is nothing private or set apart or special or holy about what God has instituted and called love. It's public. It's commonplace. It's simply an expression of our biological processes. And so we take it for granted. And we make it the subject of our jokes. Remember the fact that Christ's love was shown in part through the sacrificial system. Not just anything is an acceptable sacrifice. What God has set aside and called pure and holy. And woe, friends, to whoever offered an impure sacrifice to God. And I find it interesting that when Paul gives the contrast to this kind of false love, impurity, the contrast he offers in verse 4 is thanksgiving. Friends, we can combat the temptation for cheapening love by being grateful. Grateful to God for how truly special His love is. Friends, we must not call impurity love. And lastly, the third type of false love here is covetousness, which Paul defines in verse 5 as idolatry. This one is tricky because it looks so good. Isn't the best kind of love that which is set above everything else? But friends, when you desire anything or anyone above God, then that is the very definition of idolatry. Even the idea of love itself, the concept of love itself, can become an idol when we misdefine it and when we place it in the seat above God that rules our actions. Friends, if you are here this morning and you are willing to do anything for love or break any vow for love, then it might be true that you are not experiencing love after all, but simply covetous idolatry. Friends, we must not call idolatry love. Because do you see how each of these things can deceive us? It, they claim to be expressions of love, but they lead not to greater unity with God, but greater division from Him. We must not call 
sexual immorality, love. We must not call impurity, love. And we must not call idolatry, love. Because verse 5 warns that everyone who does has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And so this morning, if these are examples of the things that you call love, then it is likely that you are not a child of his kingdom, but a child of the fallen kingdom. And so verse 6 warns us not to be deceived by those empty words. Because they are counterfeits. They are not how God loves. They do not lead us into greater unity with God who is himself love. So how does this apply this morning, friends? Recognize the lies that are masquerading as love. And sometimes these are lies by our culture or our community or our environment. And those are very easy to see and point out. But this morning I want to say that even more often these are lies that are told by our own hearts. Your heart may tell you that the freedom to express your wildest sexual fantasies is what will satisfy you. Your heart may tell you that. Your heart may tell you that this whole love thing is really just biology and it's not worth this big deal that we seem to make of it. Your heart may tell you that loving according to your own ideal will satisfy you. But friends, do not be deceived because these are all lies. And if you believe them, you are subject to the wrath of God because you have been separated from him not unified with him. Why? Because God is true love. And by embracing any of these counterfeits, you reject him. And that brings us to the last part of Paul's argument here this morning. That you must... Love like Christ, not like the world, because, like light and darkness, these two loves cannot coexist. Read with me verses 7 through 14. Therefore, do not become partners with them, that is the children of disobedience, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. 
and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Friends, look at the elemental shift that comes from being united with Christ. Verse 8. We were once darkness, and now we are light in the Lord. We were once dead, and now we are alive in Christ. Darkness and light Death and life. These are absolute states of being, friends. And they cannot coexist. You cannot have both death and life at the same time. You cannot have both darkness and light at the same time. And so the state in which we live will determine the fruit that we bear. Is it fruit that is consistent with light and life? Well, if so, in verse 9, it tells us we can expect that which is good and right and true. But if not, then we can expect death and darkness. And so each of these states is determined By who we are being more unified with. Back in verse 1, the charge was to be imitators of God. And now in verse 7, the warning is to not become partners with them. That is, those sons of disobedience. Who are we unifying ourselves with? The children of light or the children of darkness. Because they cannot coexist. But the promise from God, praise the Lord, is in verse 13. That anything that is exposed to the light becomes light. Not the other way around. God's power, friends, his holiness is such that he obliterates any remnants of death or darkness that are in us if we seek him. That, friends, is the hope that we have this morning. Not that we can become light on our own. But that in Christ, we become light. So how does this apply? Friends, drag your darkness into the light of Christ. 
That means confess your sins to him. Ask him for his sacrificial blood to cover them and pay for them, friends. That that may mean confessing your sin to an elder here in this church who can help you to do that. That may mean telling your spouse what has been, what you have been holding on to in bitterness before them. That means ask the Lord to reveal the hidden places in your heart where you have maybe believed these lies about love. This is one of the hardest things that I have done as a follower of Christ. Revealing the darkness of my sin before the light of the Lord and before my family and before this church. My heart wants to hold on to that false image that I have of myself. But invariably, after I have done this, the lies that I have believed have lost much of their power. And so I encourage you, church, to call one another to this high standard of Christ-like love. Help your brothers and your sisters to shine his light on their darkness. I know for me, it has often been the fear and the sense of aloneness that allows that darkness to maintain its grip on my heart. But I know that I am not alone, friends. I have all of you. And most importantly, I have the Holy Spirit who will not let darkness live in his house. Where light is, darkness cannot coexist. So if you are a follower of Christ this morning, then you must love like Christ. And you must not love like the world. That, friends, is not a suggestion this morning for how a good Christian could behave. That is an imperative. That is what you will do because you are being unified with Christ. Assuming, that is, that you are being unified with Christ. And that's the same qualifier that Paul used in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Because if you have not yet believed in and accepted that sacrificial love of Christ that covers over your sin with his blood, pure and holy and acceptable before God, then you do not yet have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. 
and you remain a child still of disobedience. But Christ's love, his incredible love, has made a way for you to become united with holy God. So please, I ask you this morning, no longer imitate the false loves of this world, but accept his true love and join united with Christ. And then all of us, all of us who draw close to him will become imitators of God and you will love like Christ, not love like the world, because the darkness cannot coexist with the light. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your spirit. I thank you, God, for the light that you are, the light that you shine into our lives, Jesus. God, may we become imitators of you. Father, may our lives be characterized by the love of Christ right now, God. May we sacrifice what is pure and holy to you. God, help us to give up our sense of self-righteousness, our sense of self-justification, God. You are the only source of unity with God. And so, Father, I pray that you would make us, by your Spirit, into images of your Son, Christ. God, thank you for your gift to us. Amen.